0: Section 12 of Love Letters of Dorothy Osborne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Love Letters of Dorothy Osborne. Section 12. Letter 56, April the second, sixteen fifty four. Sir, there was never any lady more surprised than I was with your last. I read it so coldly, and was so troubled to find that you were so forward on your journey. But when I came to the last, and saw Dublin at the date, I could scarce believe my eyes. In earnest, it transported me so that I could not forbear expressing my joy in such a manner as had anybody been by to have observed me, they would have suspected me no very sober person. You are safe arrived, you say, and pleased with the place already, only because you meet with a letter of mine there. In your next I expect some other commendation on it, or else I shall hardly make such haste to it as people here believe I will. All the servants have been to take their leaves on me, and say how sorry they are to hear I am going out of the land. Some beggar at the door has made so ill a report of Ireland to them, that they pity me extremely. But you are pleased, I hope, to hear I am coming to you. The next fair wind expect me. "'It is not to be imagined the ridiculous stories they have made, nor how J. B. cries out on me for refusing him and choosing his chamber-fellow. Yet he pities me too, and swears I am condemned to be the miserablest person upon earth. With all his quarrel to me, he does not wish me so ill as to be married to the proudest, imperious, insulting, ill-natured man that ever was. One that before he has had me a week shall use me with contempt, and believe that the favour was of his side.' Is not this very comfortable? But, pray, make it no crawl. I make it none, I assure you. And though he knew you before I did, I do not think he knows you so well. Besides that, his testimony is not of much value. I am to spend this next week in taking leave of this country, and all the company in it, perhaps never to see it more. From hence I must go into Northamptonshire to my Lady Ruthen, and so to London, where I shall find my aunt and my brother Peyton, betwixt whom I think to divide this summer." Nothing has happened since you went worth your knowledge. My lord, Marquis Hertford, has lost his son, my lord Beauchamp, who is left a fine young widow. In earnest, tis great pity. At the rate of our young nobility, he was an extraordinary person, and remarkable for an excellent husband. My lord Camden, too, has fought with Mr. Stafford, but there is no harm done. You may discern the haste I am in by my writing. There will come a time for a long letter again, but there will never come any wherein I shall not be— Your faithful friend and servant, Dorothy Osborne. Sealed with black wax and directed, For Mr. William Temple at Sir John Temple's Home in Damask Street, Dublin. Letter fifty seven. Letter of Sir William Temple. May eighteenth, sixteen fifty four. I am called upon for my letter, but must have leave first to remember you of yours. For God's sake, write constantly while I am here, or I am undone past all recovery. I have lived upon them ever since I came, but had thrived much better had they been longer. Unless you used to give me better measure, I shall not be in case to undertake a journey to England. The despair I was in at not hearing from you last week, and the belief that all my letters had miscarried, by some treachery among my good friends who, I am sorry, have the name of yours, made me press my father by all means imaginable to give me leave to go presently if I heard not from you this post, but he would never yield to that because, he said, upon your silence he should suspect all was not likely to be well between us, and then he was sure I should not be in condition to be alone. He remembered too well the letters I writ upon our last unhappy differences, and would not trust me from him in such another occasion. But withal he told me he would never give me occasion for any discontent which he could remedy, that if you desired my coming over, and I could not be content without, he would not hinder me, though he very much desired my company a month or two longer, and that in that time it was very likely I might have his as well. Now, in very good earnest, do you think time for me to come, or no? Would you be very glad to see me there? And could you do it in less disorder and with less surprise than you did at Chicksand's? I ask you these questions very seriously, but yet how willingly would I venture all to be with you? I know you love me still. You promised me, and that's all the security I can have in this world. Does that which makes all things else seem nothing to it, so high it sets me, and so high indeed, that should I ever fall, t'would dash me all to pieces. Methinks your very charity should make you love me more now than ever, by seeing me so much more unhappy than I used, by being so much farther from you, for that is all the measure can be taken of my good or ill condition. Justice, I am sure, will oblige you to it, since you have no other means left in the world of rewarding such a passion as mine, which, sure, is of a much richer value than anything in the world besides. Should you save my life again, should you make me absolute master of your fortune and your person too, I should accept none of all this in any part of payment, but look upon you as one behind hand with me still. Tis no vanity this, but a true sense of how pure and how refined a nature my passion is, which none can ever know, except my own heart, unless you find it out by being there. How hard it is to think of ending when I am writing to you! But it must be so, and I must ever be subject to other people's occasions, and so never, I think, master of my own. This is too true, both in respect of this fellow's post that is bawling at me for my letter, and of my father's delays. They kill me! But patience! Would anybody but I were here! yet you may command me ever at one minute's warning. Had I not heard from you by this last, in earnest I had resolved to have gone with this, and had given my father the slip for all his caution. He tells me still of a little time, but alas, who knows not what mischances, and how great changes have often happened in a little time. For God's sake, let me hear of all your emotions, when and where I may hope to see you. Let us but hope this cloud, this absence that has overcast all my contentment, may pass away, and I am confident there is a clear sky attends us. My dearest dear, adieu. Your friend and servant, William Temple. Pray, where is your lodging? Have a care of all the dispatch and security that can be in our intelligence. Remember my fellow-servant. Sure, by the next I shall write some learned epistle to her. I have been so long about it. Letter 58, May 25th, 1654. This world is composed of nothing but contrarieties and sudden accidents, only the proportions are not at all equal. For to a great measure of trouble it allows so small a quantity of joy that one may see it is merely intended to keep us alive withal. This is a formal preface, and looks as if there were something of very useful to follow, but I would not wish you to expect it. I was only considering my own ill-humour last night. I had not heard from you in a week or more. My brother had been with me, and we had talked to ourselves both out of breath and patience too. I was not very well, and rose this morning only because I was weary of lying in bed. When I had dined I took a coach and went to see whether there was ever a letter for me, and was this once so lucky as to find one. I am not partial to myself, I know and am contented that the pleasure I have received with this shall serve to sweeten many sad thoughts that have interposed since your last, and more that I may reasonably expect before I have another. And I think I may, without vanity, say, that nobody is more sensible of the least good fortune, nor murmurs less at an ill than I do, since I owe it merely to custom, and not to any constancy in my humour, or something that is better. No, in earnest, anything of good, comes to me like the sun to the inhabitants of Greenland. It raises them to life when they see it, and when they miss it, it is not strange they expect a night of half a year long. You cannot imagine how kindly I take it that you forgive my brother, and let me assure you I shall never press you to anything unreasonable. I will not oblige you to court a person that has injured you. I only beg that whatsoever he does in that kind may be excused by his relation to me, and that whenever you are moved to think he does you wrong, you will at the same time remember that his sister loves you passionately and nobly, that if he values nothing but fortune, she despises it, and could love you as much a beggar as she could do a prince, and shall without question love you eternally, but whether with any satisfaction to herself or you is a sad doubt. I am not apt to hope, and whether it be the better or the worse, I know not. All sorts of differences are natural to me, and that which, if your kindness would give you leave, you would term a weakness in me, is nothing but a reasonable distrust of my own judgment, which makes me desire the approbation of my friends. I never had the confidence in my life to presume anything well done that I had nobody's opinion in but my own, and as you very well observe, there are so many that think themselves wise when nothing equals their folly but their pride, that I dread nothing so much as discovering such a thought in myself because of the consequences of it. Whenever you come, you must not doubt your welcome. But I can promise you nothing for the manner of it. I am afraid my surprise and disorder will be more than ever. I have good reason to think so, and none that you can take ill. But I would not have you attempt it till your father is ready for the journey too. No, really he deserves that all your occasions should wait for his. And if you have not much more than an ordinary obedience for him, I shall never believe you have more than an ordinary kindness for me. Since... If you will pardon me the comparison, I believe we both it from you upon the same score, he as a very indulgent father, and I as a very kind mistress. Don't laugh at me for commanding myself. You will never do it for me, and so I am forced to it. I am still here in town, but had no hand, I can assure you, in the new-discovered plot against the protector. But my lord of Dorchester, as they say, has, and so might I have had, if I were as rich as he.' and then you might have been sure of me at the tower. Now a worse lodging must serve my turn. Tis over against Salisbury House, where I have the honour of seeing my lady M. Sandys every day, unless some race or other carry her out of town. The last week she went to one as far as Winchester, with Colonel Ponton, if you know such a one, and there her husband met her, and because he did so, though it were by accident, thought himself obliged to invite her to his house but seven miles off and very modestly said no more for it, but that he thought it better than an inn, or at least a crowded one, as all in the town were now because of the race. But she was so good a companion that she would not forsake her company. So he invited them too, but could prevail with neither. Only my lady grew kind at parting, and said, indeed, if Tom Pawnton and J. Morton and the rest would have gone, she could have been contented to have taken his offer. Thus much for the married people, now for those that are towards it. There is Mr. Stanley and Mrs. Witherington, Sir H. Littleton and Mrs. Philadelphia Carey, who in earnest is a fine woman, such a one as will make an excellent wife, and some say my Lord Rich and my Lady Betty Howard, but others that pretend to know more say his court to her is but to countenance a more serious one to Mrs. Howard, her sister-in-law, he not having courage to pretend so openly as some do to another's wife. Oh, but your old acquaintance, poor Mr. Henningham, has no luck. He was so near, as he thought at least, marrying Mrs. Gurrard, that anybody might have got his whole estate in wages upon it that would have ventured but a reasonable proportion of their own. And now he looks more like an ass than ever he did. She has cast him off most unhandsomely, that's the truth on it, and would have tied him to such conditions as he might have been her slave withal, but could never be her husband. Is not this a great deal of news for me that never stir abroad? Nay, I brought me to-day more than all this that i am marrying myself and the pleasantness on it is that it should be to my lord st john would he look on me think you that i had pretty mrs Fretchville? my comfort is i have not seen him since he was a widower and never spoke to him in my life i found myself so innocent that i never blushed when they told it me what would i give i could avoid it when people speak of you in earnest i do prepare myself all that is possible to hear it spoken of yet for my life I cannot hear your name without discovering that I am more than ordinarily concerned in it. A blush is the foolishest thing that can be, and betrays one more than a red nose does a drunkard, and yet I would not so wholly have lost them as some women that I know has as much injury as they do me. I can assure you now that I shall be here a fortnight longer. They tell me no lodger, upon pain of his highness's displeasure, must remove sooner, but when I have his leave I go into Suffolk for a month, and then come hither again to go into Kent, where I intend to bury myself alive again as I did in Bedfordshire, unless you call me out and tell me I may be happy. Alas, how fain I would hope it! But I cannot, and should it ever happen, t'would be long before I should believe t'was meant for me in earnest, or that t'was other than a dream. To say truth, I do not love to think on it. I find so many things to fear, and so few to hope.' is better telling you that I will send my letters where you direct, that they shall be as long ones as possibly my time will permit, and when at any time you miss of one, I give you leave to imagine as many kind things as you please, and to believe I mean them all to you. Farewell, your faithful friend and servant, Dorothy Osborne. Letter 59, June sixth, 1654. I see you know how to punish me. In earnest, I was so frightened with your short letter as you cannot imagine, and as much troubled as the cause on it. What is it, your father ails, and how long has he been ill? If my prayers are heard, he will not be so long. Why do you say I failed you? Indeed I did not. Jane is my witness. She carried my letter to the White Hart by St. James's, and twas a very long one, too. I carried one thither since, myself, and the woman of the house was so very angry, because I desired her to have a care on it. "'that I made the coachman drive away with all possible speed, lest she should have beaten me. "'To say truth, I pressed her too much, considering how little the letter deserved it. "'It was writ in such disorder, the company praising about me, "'and some of them so bent on doing me little mischiefs, that I know not what I did, "'and believe it was the most senseless, disjointed thing that ever was read. "'I remember now that I writ Robin Spencer instead of Will. "'Tis he that has married Mrs. Gurd, and I admire their courage.' She will have eight hundred pounds a year, it is true, after her mother's death, but how they will live till then I cannot imagine. I shall be even with you for your short letter. I'll swear they will not allow me time for anything, and to show how absolutely I am governed I need but tell you that I am every night in the park and at New Spring Gardens, where, though I come with a mask, I cannot escape being known, nor my conversion being admired. Are you not in some fear what will become on me? These are dangerous courses, I do not find, though, that they have altered me yet. I am much the same person at heart I was, in being, your faithful friend and servant, Dorothy Osborne. Letter 60. June 13th, 1654. You satisfied me very much with this last long letter, and made some amends for the short one I received before. I am convinced, too, happiness is much such a kind of thing as you describe, or rather such a nothing, For there is no one thing can properly be called so, but every one is left to create it to themselves in something which they either have or would have, and so far it's well enough. But I do not like to think that one's happiness should depend upon a persuasion that this is happiness, because nobody knows how long they shall continue in a belief built upon no grounds, only to bring it to what you say, and to make it absolutely of the same nature with faith.' We must conclude that nobody can either create or continue such a belief in themselves, but where it is there is happiness, and for my part at this present I verily believe I could find it in the long walk at Dublin. You say nothing of your father's sickness, therefore I hope he is well again, for though I have a quarrel to him it does not extend so far as to wish him ill, but he made no good return for the counsel I gave you to say that there might come a time when my kindness might fail.' Do not believe him, I charge you, unless you doubt yourself that you may give me occasion to change, and when he tells you so again, engage what you please upon it, and put it upon my account. I shall go out of town this week, and so cannot possibly get a picture drawn for you till I come up again, which will be within these six weeks, but not to make any stay at all. I should be glad to find you here then. I would have had one drawn since I came, and consulted my glass every morning when to begin, and to speak freely to you that are my friend. I could never find my face in a condition to admit on it, and when I was not satisfied with it myself, I had no reason to hope that anybody else should. But I am afraid, as you say, that time will not mend it, and therefore you shall have it, as it is, as soon as Mr. Cooper will vouch to take the pains to draw it for you. I am in great trouble to think how I shall write out of Suffolk to you, or receive yours. However, do not fail to write, though they lie awhile. I shall have them at last, and they will not be the less welcome, and, though you should miss of some of mine, let it not trouble you, but if it be by my fault, I'll give you leave to demand satisfaction for it when you come. Jane kisses your hands, and says she'll be ready in all places to do you service, but I'll prevent her, now you have put me into a jealous humour. I'll keep her in chains, before she shall quit scores with me. Do not believe, sir, I beseech you, that the young heirs are for you. Content yourself with your old mistress. You are not so handsome as Will Spencer, nor have I not so much courage nor wealth as his mistress, nor she has not so much as her aunt says by all the money. I shall not have called her his mistress, now they have been married almost this fortnight. I'll write again before I leave the town, and she would have writ more now, but company has come in. Adieu, my dearest. End of section 12